Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 36. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our past. That means each week one of us chooses something the other person has never seen and forced viewing ensues. And then we unpack it all here for you guys. and Well, and for each other. Let's face yes. it, we're going to have a conversation about something that means something. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not this week. <laughs> so I, it's my turn to pick. Yes, it was your choice. And I went more in the guilty pleasures yes. realm because there's only so many weeks where we can cover uh, Peter Greenaway and uh, Kurosawa movies. Yeah. So more. that's not what we're doing this time. So what, <laughs> what I chose was 1984's monumental blockbuster. Was a blockbuster. The movie that made Eddie Murphy a star, Beverly Hills Cop, okay. which Ashley has never seen before. I had never seen. It came out in 84. That was the year my brother was born. My brother is two and a half years younger than me. <laughs> I couldn't see Eddie Murphy movies in 1984. I was too young. <laughs> it's true. I was, however, 13 years old. Yes. I think this that's probably one of the target audiences I th- for I the movie. Probably. But um, it was a huge blockbuster. Yeah, it was the It made the all kinds one. of money. It was, the, it, it was the biggest movie, one of the biggest movies of the year. It was the biggest It was the movie. biggest movie of the year. Two Golden Globe nominations. An Academy Award nomination. It made Eddie Murphy play? a star. Oddly. I mean, he was already on Saturday Night Live. Um, I 48 Hours had already come out, but I think this was the one that really pushed him over. Mm. Um, so I haven't seen 48 hours either. Questions, so. thoughts? Uh, so, um, I guess I'm supposed to ask you, why did you choose this movie, Dave? I chose this movie because I think that this was something I saw a lot of in that, you know, mm. 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, so, um, and, uh, it's a classic. Yeah. I can't believe you've never seen it. I mean, it's just I'm such a part of pop culture to me. I feel like you missed out on like what Andy Murphy was really good and really big. And I can't... I would agree with I that, probably. I don't know if you've seen any of those. I've seen um, Made, Made in America? Coming no. to America? Coming to America, yes. Now, I've only seen that... I've seen that a bunch. I only saw that <laughs> once. Yeah. And so it's not one of the ones that's clearest in my mind. But so for me, it's sort of... Um, 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop, and um, I had a third one in my mind, and it's gone away. Yeah. What was it? Oh, Trading Places. I've never seen Trading Places. And Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live, which you totally missed out so, on, too. I did, but I, I I, have a funny story about that. Is like um, My parents had a, some good friends that had children that were about four or five years younger than me, and they had a... Uh, a little red-haired girl, and I guess she'd stayed up and watched one of the Eddie Murphy SNLs, and it's the one where he dresses up like Gumby. Yeah, yeah. So Gumby, I just remember yeah. she would run around doing an Eddie Murphy voice, yelling "Merry Christmas, damn it!" was her um, thing that she you liked know, to do. We had Gumby, we had <laughs> we had Buckwheat, we mm-hmm. had Mister Robinson's Neighborhood, we had just the. Well, and that's like the foundations the of, of, of Eddie Murphy. Yeah, well, and foundations of so many modern comics now too uh-huh. that that started with Eddie Murphy, you know, as the. But um, and Richard Pryor. <laughs> new to me was the was this guy who could riff and improvise the way yeah. he does. 
It's amazing. Well, I actually appreciated, you know, I came across him much later when he had sort of like, similar to Robin Williams, like where they just took it to like an extreme where they were almost a parody of themselves. Mm -hmm. It was really nice to see him in this. I mean, like he was really funny, but it wasn't like everything. He wasn't like throwing everything at the wall. Like in some of the later movies where he seems to be just sort of like throwing things out there, you know, it's not slapstick. Yeah. He does a pretty good job of containing all of these improvisations into the shtick of this character who's undercover a lot of the time. And so he puts on a quick persona and, and so it comes out naturally. Yeah. It was, he brings that very natural. Yeah. It's not on the page of that script. Probably. Yeah. Of that. Well, based on, yeah. So (laughs) there must be other people out there who weren't familiar with this movie, right? Yeah. So can you tell them, uh, the concept or, you know, what? So we have a, um, you know, rogue rookie detective who likes to go off and do his own thing. Detroit. He's in Detroit. Um, he goes undercover without permission. He gets in trouble with his chief all the time. Um, that guy is brilliant, by the way. His boss is amazing. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then his, one of his good friends who had, he went to school with, had been in prison, um, went out to California, comes back and visits him in Detroit and um, shows him some like weird Russian bonds or something like that. I think they're German, but yeah. That he stole and then promptly gets murdered um, mm-hmm. in Eddie Murphy's hallway. Um, or sorry, Alex Foley, Axel, Axel Foley. Foley's hallway. So then that starts him. Um, apparently he came across these people who killed them in Beverly Hills. So... Um, Axel takes a vacation to go to Beverly Hills to investigate the murder of his friend. by his boss that he better not go (laughs) sticking his nose into that case out there. Yeah, which he he totally does right away, you know. Yep. Um, And so the rest of it is set in Beverly Hills um, where he is cleverer than the police force there. Um, he slips around them at all, all turns. He finds out who did the killing. He finds a way to prove that he was involved in drugs. Um, and then there's a big shootout at the end. So it's, and you have (laughs) Eddie Murphy, Axel Foley and his street smart, no off the book, like just going to walk in and blindly and do my thing versus the by the book uh beverly hills police guys and you have those wonderful characters taggart and rosewood Mm. um john ashton and judge reinhold judge reinhold yeah they're fantastic and um the the chemistry between Mm. all of these guys between eddie murphy and judge reinhold john ashton those cops and then their boss um, bogle mill ronnie cox um it's just a, it's it's great the yeah. comic timing and the way that they all play off of each other it, it's a really great cast yeah um but i have to go back around to what this movie was at the time for me a little bit because i don't know we got off on eddie murphy yeah and i don't have a lot more to say about that but i will say this is probably one of the first rated r movies it is right ra- is it rated r uh, yeah now i think I actually have to think it's, about that. it is rated r and it was I think it's still, if you adjusted for inflation, number three in R-rated films most 
okay. most profitable. So I'm pretty sure I saw this in the movie theater. I'm going to guess that my mom probably took me to see it with her new boyfriend mm. after she and my dad split up. Because it doesn't seem like something my dad would have taken me to. They would sometimes take me to um, R-rated movies. Yeah. This might have been one of the first. So you've got that going for it. Yeah. Um, but then this was one of those movies that... You know, you rented the tape when it came out and you mm. taped it off of uh, Showtime, you know, with your VHS, EP Ooh, you mode, six hour mode, whatever, you know, and you watched it over again. You every time it came on, you would watch some of it. And so you got to know all the music, all the scenes, all the set pieces. And you would just like, oh, my God, it's the part where he's going to like go into the buffet and like yeah. smash the whole thing. Up. Or, oh, my God, it's the banana in the tailpipe scene. You know, it just like became sort of. Um, comfort yeah. and smile on your face every time. And it still did that to me, actually, when I saw it yeah. again last night. I mean, it's story-wise, there's not a whole lot there. It's not that... It's not a great movie, but it's, it has those, like, little five to seven minute set pieces that just kind of... It's it's these these sort of sketches, yeah. you know? It's more than sketches, but... Yeah. And it, I don't know. It's a comfort movie. It is a guilty pleasure, but it's also... It's a fun movie. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to me how innocent and devoid of controversy this film seems because like based on the circumstances that we start out in Detroit versus Beverly Hills, you would think that they would play up on that a little bit more, but mm-hmm. they seem to sort of I mean like so Eddie Murphy made some general sort of jokes you know, about, you know, differences among, you know, how white people versus black people are treated. But on the whole, the movie sort of sort of glossed over that. Oh, there's, I, only, in a very, there's only a handful yeah. of references to race yeah. and, and uh, stuff like that. And there's when he freaks out in the hotel to get the free room. Rolling Stone reporter for, you know... Well, and and that's what I want to bring up. So I read Roger Ebert's review of this film. I have not. So I know it's a two and a half two star. Two and a half yeah, star. It's not, it's not a favorite so, film So, I mean, like, he commented on that, and I, I felt the same way, which is that... So, you know, in Crazy Rich Asians, the opening scene is the family comes right. in in the rain yeah. to a rich, fancy hotel, and, like, the... The clerk or the the concierge oh, sure. never says anything overtly racist, but it is very clear that he wants them to leave specifically because they're Chinese and they don't belong in this establishment. Well, this does not happen in yeah. the Beverly Hills. I know Cop. he fabricates the yeah. situation to make a scene, yeah. in order to get the free room. Well, and like Roger Ebert makes the argument that it could have been written in such a way that people were speaking and how they actually speak in these sorts of situations in this sort of coded language that we have. Like perhaps she'd be more comfortable somewhere else or something to that effect. Oh, sure, you know? it could have almost been that scene. Yeah, from exactly. Crazy situations. So instead, they kind of you know played up you know eddie murphy's sort of ability to to sort of charm and and use use things to his advantage which is an interesting take on it it's just it's not necessarily in this day and age something that i would have expected from from a film you know and i kind of groaned when i saw that was coming (laughs) because i didn't know exactly how that was going to play out but it made me feel really uncomfortable yeah yeah (laughs) um but there's not a lot of that. It's strangely, no. there's not, I mean, not strangely, but there is not. It just not, seems very innocent. Like, so, like the, 
I mean, it seems like someone who has whoever the the gentleman who wrote this, like he has no real well, he doesn't definitely doesn't have the knowledge that we have about how law and order isn't necessarily all that we it's like the idealized version of how how police should work yeah you know like the beverly hills cop or by the book and they you know which always... is completely ridiculous yeah. and laughable now yeah, right? yeah. i mean nothing specific <laughs> about beverly hills uh itself because i don't know anything about their police force yeah. in actuality but i would say that the idea now that everything is squeaky clean i don't believe yeah. that any, i'm sorry i don't believe that any police department is that squeaky clean well it just it it's funny how it just seems kind of like like whoever wrote it like i wonder how old were they had they any experience with the world was the 80s just so innocent to that sort of thing i mean like what they were doing with this movie yeah i guess so but i mean like were there was it before there were like um um you know tv shows about you know rough and tumble police officers or we're gonna see this played up because the whole concept of the movie is fish out of water yeah okay so I don't know if you can immediately think of other examples, but the 80s was the fish out of water comedy. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was Crocodile Dundee. It mm. was, I don't know when Kindergarten Cop was probably later. Maybe it was it in the 90s. Early 90s. But yeah. There, I can't, so I can't think of a whole lot of them, but everything was a fish well, out of Beverly water. Well, the Beverly Hillbillies, I mean, I, that was earlier, but it's the same right? sort of thing. So yeah. you take Street Smart, Detroit mm-hmm. Cop, and you put them in Beverly Hills where everybody, so that's like, that is the concept. So yeah. they play, that's actually what they wrote towards, you know, yeah. is, is they, you have that funny scene in Robert Altman's movie, mm-hmm. The Player, where people are pitching movies in the beginning and they're like, it's, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire meets oh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I wish I could think of an actual example, but that's actually what the movies were like. Yeah. And so you can see the pitch in, mm-hmm. in this script, but it pretty it it was let's take like this hardened like urban cop yeah. and put him you know on in Wilshire Boulevard and all that kind of stuff which i mean is also strange to me because like i mean in my understanding of los angeles like beverly hills is like in the middle uh, it's not like a separate it's not separate from los angeles it's in the freaking middle of los yeah. angeles yeah. it's part of the urban environment it's just like a neighborhood in the urban environment it's like you know i, I don't know the difference between brooklyn and and you know harlem or something like that well, you know well it's really only the police force in this movie yeah. that's beverly hills and the and the gallery that yeah. the the bad guys associate yeah. with victor maitland <laughs> Because the rest of it does it doesn't all play out in Beverly Hills. Yeah. But we're yeah. dealing with the Beverly Hills jurisdiction in yeah. terms of the the cops and the fancy building and yeah. all the all the computers that are odd, like something I've seen out of war games or something yeah. that, that they all have, you know. <laughs> and they have like GPS or something. I'm trying to figure out how they're tracking where people are yeah, in nineteen eighty four. That seems weird to me too. Like so I mean like I'm sorry, I'm trying to make it realistic and it's not realistic, but like Beverly Hills would be a part of the L.A. 
PD. They would have the same equipment as it's not like all the rich people are like here. Well, it have was the like GPS this is Beverly Hills High, and they have all the good stuff and the that's music true. programs and that's the computers, true. right? Well, that's like true. All the but, resources. Yeah, but I don't so. think that people necessarily invest in their schools in the same way that are sorry, other way around. They don't necessarily invest in their police stations in the same way that they I invest mean, in schools. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Daniel Petrie Jr., I'm sure he didn't spend a lot of time doing research in the actual Beverly Hills uh, Police Department. No, probably not. (laughs) So what you have is somebody imagining what the Beverly Hills Police Department would be like, how they would operate, what their facilities would be like. And the fact that even, you know, at the end of the movie, they're picking up his tab at the hotel. Yeah. Oh, put it on the Beverly Hills Well, I think it makes more sense, like, another movie uh, would be like Hot Fuzz, where... Uh, Simon Pegg plays the the London cop, urban London cop that goes out to the small town in the suburbs. Um, so the, I don't know. Beverly Hills just is not the same thing. They tried to present present them as this sort of innocent sort of thing, and like there are no problems in Beverly Hills, which is no. not the case. It's not the case. <laughs> um, we can't ignore the fact that this movie was written for Sylvester Stallone. Yes. So, well, and he actually, did a treatment of the script, even his own did. treatment of the he script. <laughs> he made it into a straight action movie. Yes. And like made it really heavy. And, uh, uh, the, the, the judge Reinhold character would have been killed. Killed halfway it through the halfway movie. through the movie. Yeah. So there would have been another revenge thing going <laughs> on. The friend that got killed in the beginning would have been his brother. Oh yeah. It was going to be his brother. He was going to make him Italian the, as the well. The woman at the gallery, his old friend was the love interest. And there's some crazy, like, I don't know. Yeah. So some of the principals involved at Bruckheimer and, um, Don Simpson or whatever, they were like, well, he wrote an amazing script, but it was not what we wanted to make. Well, and he they're like he, he dropped it, out before filming started. He too. dropped out two weeks before filming stopped started. He, yeah, he dropped out two weeks before filming started. So they and I don't know how long they had to delay to rewrite. Mm. They they signed on Eddie Murphy a few days later, and then they had to rewrite the movie. I don't know how much time they had to rewrite it. So it's another reason why we're seeing an um like the like the racial element is probably. Mm not present for that reason as well. Yeah, I guess because it wasn't initially in the... Here's the thing. The racial element is in 48 hours in a really big mm-hmm. way, and it's really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And I, w- I actually haven't seen that in decades. And then maybe two or three years ago, I watched some of it, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe... Nick Nolte's mouth in this movie. Yeah. Like I it was I was like, I don't even remember that this film was like that at the time. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that again because I was actually thinking, let's see, I want to show one of the great Eddie mm. Murphy movies. Should we do 48 hours or should we do Beverly Hills Cop? Maybe we'll do a double feature. And so I was kind of reading a little bit about them because I was trying to remember what 48 hours were like. And someone was pointing out like the the language and the mm. and that and that whole element to it. And I was like, no. I don't want to go there right now. <laughs> not, I, that's not, not with, fun. Yeah. I mean, that's a drama. That is yeah. a crime drama. It has Eddie Murphy mm. in it. It's not played for comedy yeah. in this way. But um, the racist element is big time. Yeah. Well, it's just it's just so weird. You know, I don't know. Like after you've watched, as I have, The Wire, to come back to a film that just doesn't even sort of address it at all. And it's kind of weird. Like... I was like, well, you know, the whole circumstances about, 
you know, and he protests a little bit when he gets thrown out of a window, you know, and in that situation, the cops are hearing from people in the community that some guy broke into their thing. So, Uh I mean, like, they probably would have responded that way. But the fact that that arrest went down so peacefully was, like, a little jarring to me. Like, okay, you know. Yeah. And, I, you know, knowing what we know now, and, like, he's, like, mouthing off for comedy, and I'm just sitting there like, shut up, dude. Don't talk, you know. And, like, it's not that kind of movie, but, you know. You know. And that's what Eddie Murphy did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He mouthed off at everybody yeah. and in every movie. And that, that like, that was where some of the comic greatness would come from, yeah. where the riffs would just go on, you know? It's good stuff. It's just, it's just very, it's kind of jarring when you've been living in a world where you're aware of these sorts well, of things. And then for it to be completely ignored as even a possibility, you know, yeah, and I, it's kind of weird. It, you I know? didn't feel it that way because I'm just tapping into my memory of the movie yeah. and, and sort of re-experiencing what I experienced before. So I didn't even think of that for yeah. a scene like that. I mean, to me, the cops in, in a scene like that, they're not even real cops. They're really just an impediment. You yeah. know, they're just the, the obstacle that he has to get through. There's no real threat to them. They're not, they're going to book him and he'll be out, you know, yeah. in five minutes of screen time. Well, I just, it's but interesting. But he's not in any danger with cause, them. Because this is the, this, the way this, that things are presented, it's how we wish that society would be but is not an actual reflection of how it actually is. I don't think this is a utopian film. I think this is, I think this was a film that was written for Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Not heavily, I mean, not heavily rewritten. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a, it was a comedy before he got to it and tried to write a new treatment of his own. But then, so the, you put Eddie Murphy into basically what was going to be a generic action movie or a big budget generic action movie. It wasn't and, very actiony though. I mean, other than the sort of shootout at the end and the or the the truck thing in the beginning with yeah, the cigarette truck. But really, it's more of it's sort of like a a mystery where yeah, he's just mystery. like he's doing his gumshoe work and figuring things out. It's and, not all that interesting a mystery. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it it's really dependent <laughs> on the chemistry of Eddie Murphy. And the Beverly Hills. Well, they cops. never figured out that the actual, I mean, like he killed the actual guy who killed Mike, but he did never like know that that was the guy who killed Mike. He oh, he did. Like, There's a scene where he's, where he t- tells him like, oh, okay. I'm going to, you know, pop you right now the way I, oh, okay. I killed So he you. did know, yeah. but he was like, he wasn't the big boss. No, no it was the, 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 the other guy, guy had, the scary, with the eyed, biggest gun I've ever seen. Like the, the guy with the giant, icy eyes who's, giant who's in gun. 80s movies. I don't know. Yeah. Who is that actor? I can't look it up right now. Yeah. <laughs> who is the guy who plays Victor Maitland's henchman? Write yeah. me a note because yeah. I can't remember. Um, He's in other things, too. So let's talk. Uh, I don't know. What were some of the scenes or set pieces that stood out to to you, if any did? Well, interesting. So I, I, when I was very young, I watched Perfect Strangers. And was that not Balky who was the... That was Bronson Pinchot. Okay. That was Balky before Balky. Yes. And so I don't, I, I don't know exactly what the history is of that character, but it was definitely him doing that 
this that this came before that. The sort of weird Eastern European thing yeah, that he and, does. And that all may the be time. something he did in stand up or yeah. something. That might have been a character he was already kind of doing. But the first time you ever saw it, I think was in was this in, was in this movie. Yeah, so that, he was pretty funny, you know, just as a weird side character who like talks about espresso and lemon juice I all make the you time. Espresso with a little lemon twist. He, he oh, just so nice. he exists to make espresso for uh, people who come into the. Don't be stupid. <laughs> What is such a so animal? This is not sexy. You think that's yeah. sexy? Well, and I also think that they the art was so ugly in there. I don't think that they sold art. It was just a, like a cover story well, for their drugs. The point, right? drug they selling. were running drugs really and, ugly and bonds. Yeah. <laughs> Although art in the eighties, eh, kind of ugly. There is conceptual art speaking. that actually looked like that. Yeah, in the I 80s. know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of the artist, but. There were um, installation pieces yeah. that looked just like that, pretty much. Yeah. We're talking like mannequin heads rotating on dinner plates and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was that it was sort that of, kind thing. of thing. Yeah. It was sort of like um, Andy Warhol, like, taken too far and badly done. <laughs> exactly. So, but for me, watching this again after so many... And I watched a little bit of yeah. it maybe a year ago when I found the DVD at Half Price Books. I don't think I watched the whole thing. I was kind of pre-screening it yeah. to maybe one day do on the show. But to me, it was like a greatest hits kind of thing. Yeah. It was like, I kept going, oh, it's the banana and the tailpipe. <laughs> oh, it's the, <laughs> it's the scene. That was a pretty good scene, like where he, he sends down the food and they're really appre- appreciative. And the other guy's like, why are you taking the food? And then it was pretty good. The whole um, <laughs> Judge Reinhold and his partner yeah. thing is, is great. You've got Billy. Billy yeah. Rosewood, Judge Reinhold, who's kind of unsure mm. and, and a little bit dorky. And and he loves he his crab sandwich or whatever mm. it was. A shrimp salad. Shrimp I salad I sandwich, yeah. And a po- apparently the poached salmon went uneaten. I was, it's so exciting that you could send room service down to a car waiting across the street yeah. from the hotel. Well, and I'm, I'm thrilled that he got his... Uh, um, Actually, relatively inexpensive Beverly Hills Hotel. I guess it's 1984, but $239 seems like a deal for <laughs> nowadays, I guess. For, we could do that. Yeah, we could afford that. <laughs> yeah, that must have been like $600 a night back yeah, then or probably. something like that. I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> um, did you recognize Damon Wayans? No. He was the, the banana man who gave him the banana. That was Damon Wayans? Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. I think so. Yeah. It'll be our secret. Okay. <laughs> Remember? Gives him the banana, the fruit to the, the guy. Well, and then he kind of imitates him when he's trying to get into... And the, uh, that was a little questionable, the... Um, Oh, where he pretends to be gay and deliver to deliver lunch. some like test results or something right. like that. That was mm-hmm. a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, like I realize it's the eighties and we've come I a long way. With that because but it was that Eddie was really, Murphy, yeah, and it was funny, but it was uncomfortable. But yeah. it was funny. Yeah, but it was uncomfortable. And yeah. so I found myself in that place a few times. Yeah. That's well. I mean, and I think that a lot of comedians traffic in that. Yeah. You know, in in that line between, you know, offensive and, but I mean, like, I think, unfortunately, back then it would have been a lot more acceptable than, than hopefully it is now. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
but I mean, it just it feels like an entirely different time to me. It's it so it's so weird time. to me. I mean, it's what is it that's is it 30 years now? More than 30, 35 years? 1984. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I'm 37. So. <laughs> hey, we can do math and we know how old we are. <laughs> I can't believe I've been alive old enough to have experience, you know. For there things to be existed that are 35 years old that I could have experienced at mm-hmm. the time or something like that. I don't know. Um, so, and now I know that you can uh, pack uh, cocaine in coffee grounds. I had forgotten about that yeah. trick. And that if... Um, uh, Did you learn private, various... Private warehouses, it's really easy to break in and steal uh, uninspected stuff and then return it without anybody Before knowing. they've gone through customs yes, or whatever? Which is, I didn't quite understand that. Uh, I mean, like, doing. which explains, I guess, how <laughs> so much cocaine made it into the U.S., I guess. Um. <laughs> yes, perhaps the writers knew a little too much about yeah. how this was done. <laughs> That's exactly how they. These were the big guys of the time, right? Although I don't understand why the German marks would be like a thing that. Why wouldn't you just like switch it to dollars anyway? Um. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) And and diamonds aren't worth anything. Okay. That was James Russo, (laughs) the friend that got killed. I didn't Mm. realize that. Oh, was it? Yeah. Really? Wow. Mikey. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I still, I didn't quite understand, like, so he was going undercover to sell cigarettes to these gangsters. Was he just going to arrest them or? It seemed like a weird sort of entrapment kind of thing. Yeah. Like where he was trying to get them to. Yeah. Yeah. He had a truck full of cigarettes that had been impounded from some other bus and he was Mm. trying to sell them to uh, two thugs. Yeah. That's how the movie opens. And then. I mean, and I know that um, that was just unsafe. They should not have pursued in that in that way. Mm-hmm. It was um, dangerous for all the people. What was the soundtrack <laughs> for that big car chase with the truck scene? Was it the Neutron Dance or something? The Pointer Sisters? Where, where was I that? Think that so. was in it. We had, oh my God. Oh, the soundtrack, Do you remember yeah. the soundtrack? It had The Heat Is On. Mm-hmm. Um, on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Oh, how can we forget the Axel F theme? Yes. I didn't realize till today I was having. Did you know that was called Axel F? I had a conversation with one of my coworkers today. (laughs) Okay, like it had that stupid. Alexander pointed out to me that it was. You uh, mean the Axel F theme? The Axel, yeah, yeah. So. Sorry. Which they okay? I I actually the baseline. I actually do remember that they played that on the radio in the eighties. They did. Well, that was a. I'm sure you could look up if you haven't already that that was a hit soundtrack album. I had the tape. Okay. Had the tape. So um, I used to play the Miami. It had all those Patti LaBelle songs yeah. on it that you hated. Some of the, it's just the weird like digital bass thing that they had going on. Mm-hmm. I just did not really. That weird synth g- bass Yeah, thing. I didn't like the. Doom, 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 doom. Sounded like the Seinfeld soundtrack or something like that. That's an actual bass, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I think it is a real so we had uh, the Pointer Sisters, and um, they weren't all hits on that so- on that soundtrack. Is well, what no I'm movie saying. soundtrack ever is. That's you have true. all the filler songs. Yeah, I think it had a Vanity Vanity song um, mm. in the strip club. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we didn't talk about the strip, <laughs> the strip club. club. That I think it's kind of clever, like him noticing the. I I liked that, and that's how he got to be friends with um with that. When he the, sees that there are two guys casing the strip yeah. club. But after that scene, I was like, 
robbing a strip club is a thing. Yeah. Like you go into a crowded strip club with rifles. And, and you get a bunch of dollar bills. I so know. many dollar bills. It, it doesn't seem like a very good crime. <laughs> Every, well, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess if you're, I don't know how much would a lot. I don't know anything. About, I've never been in a strip club, so I don't know anything about it. But like, would a, would a lap dance be twenty five dollars? Would there be guys with like two hundred dollars in cash on them? I mean, well, everybody would have had cash. Ignorance. But um. <laughs> <laughs> they all would have had cash because there were no um, there were no debit cards at the time. So it was either cash or credit card, and they wouldn't have just run your credit card for no a lap dance. No debit cards, no cell phones. So I think no it's, internet. So on <laughs> I you know I'm ready to declare on the on the thing of robbing a strip club. It's not half a bad place to rob. I, I'd say. Oh. Okay. I had forgotten that it was just a not rent. in 1984 at least. Well, I had forgotten the film. So when this first started playing out in the strip club, and he sees the guys across the room, I was trying to connect it to the main plot, yeah. like it was somehow connected to Victor. That's, I was trying to do that too. And so when it turned out that it was just two <laughs> random guys robbing the strip club, I was like, "Well, that's weird and convenient and strange that they're yeah. trying to rob." <laughs> they the can strip be friends club. now. They're trying to, they're two not very good uh, criminals trying to rob a strip club. Yeah. Yes. Well, I also think it's interesting that there was no love interest because this seems like the kind of film where you would have one. I mean, like, there's no reason for there to be a love interest in Speed, and the, and yet there was, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually, it, it was probably pretty rare to not have a, yeah, a, it was any very kind interesting. of love story, love interest. I mean, yeah. like, he just cared about her because they'd grown up they together, you know, so it wasn't like... They all like, went to high school together. You know, you don't have to fall in love with the person who's driving the bus that you're trying to save or whatever. You know, it's not necessary for the... <laughs> so that was interesting. Although only... You fem- don't often fall in love with the people only that you're female character, films with? Only female character, one female character in the whole movie. <laughs> That's true. Except for the strippers. Oh, yes. There's probably at least three or four others then. So so truly a male-centric film. <laughs> it is a male-centric film. This 13-year-old loved it. Yeah. Um, I still liked it quite a lot. Well, and I think that, I really do think that, like when I think about how I was at the age of 13 and how I believed that our systems were correct and that, you know, the yeah. bad guys, except usually I was not aware of like large shootouts at the end of anything really but um you know <laughs> that my idea of how law and order worked this probably would have fallen right in line of with you know how a young it was a simpler time yeah like if you do a crime you will be punished you know that that sort of thing you know but one of the uh outcomes of axel foley doing things his way is that it rubs off on the by the book guys in beverly hills so it's supposed to be kind of a win at the end that you know, Ronnie Cox Although, is I like know, lying, uh, like yeah. fabricating that whole report to make it all make sense. See, and I, and then it's like more like, more like we know actual, you know, which seems <laughs> yes. So for the purposes of this plot, it's like really cool. Oh, look, he's totally bending the truth to make it all work out just oh, yeah. right. It's and then you're great. thinking, it's great when they uh, fabricate uh, police reports. They, yeah, <laughs> this is why we have body cameras. They're laughing now. about how much he just lied about uh, what happened on the scene of the crime. We shouldn't be applauding that. Well, I mean, like, it wouldn't be hard to prove that these guys were bad. I mean, why not say what actually happened? I and guess they're what? trying to save what's-his-dude, du- what's but, I mean, they were trying to save Axel from any sort of 
trouble about you know being a cop in a outside his jurisdiction or you know well, whatever. Remember the badass uh, boss back in Detroit was gonna yeah fire him if he found out. Well, he was I I love that the boss case. is like you're a talented cop, but you know you can't keep acting this way. And I was like, what have we seen that shows that he's a talented cop? Well, that was funny because uh, <laughs> it seems it, like he's a disobedient person. That who came up again when Bogomil, the the <laughs> supervisor in, at Beverly Hills, yeah. talks to his boss and he said, "I just talked to you know Todd <laughs> in, in Detroit, and uh, he says you're an outstanding young detective, but that you have discipline issues." And I'm like, outstanding young. He stole a impounded cigarette truck and like ruined half. Well, they the don't city. mention how good his paperwork is. He's so good at paperwork because everyone knows that detectives spend most that of their time doing do paperwork. paperwork. <laughs> oh, you know what was weird too? They kept talking about his uh, his appearance and how he looked like a shambles and like a thug and everything. And he was wearing <laughs> he just jeans, wearing, and like, jeans and a sweatshirt. He, lo- I wear that. <laughs> like, well, I was saying like the the red sh- red sweatshirt he was wearing and the blue jeans i was like yeah. i'm pretty sure like everyone in the 80s every man in the 80s had some version of that outfit i remember my dad had some version his had his was gray on top but red on the bottom yeah. but it was the same outfit it was you know blue jeans and and you know i think just like that's just like what everybody wore in the everybody 80s everybody wore that yeah <laughs> Although I was surprised so to see him wearing, wearing a hoodie a because I didn't know hoodies were a thing. I can't tell you. I don't, I don't think remember. they were as big a, thi- a thing back then as so they either. are now. You know, everybody wears hoodies now. But I mean, like, I think it was mostly workout gear. So maybe that's what they were talking about. Like he's wearing workout clothes or something like that. I don't know. I thought they were kind of implying that he was dressed like a punk or like a like somebody who just came in off the street yeah. or something like that. Well, he like, wasn't even wearing like rock and roll shirts. He no. was wearing like he was literally I, I made a joke that he likes Mumford and Sons because his shirt says Mumford like, on it. Mumford like phys ed or something yeah, it was like just that. Like a high it. school phys ed shirt or yeah. something. <laughs> Whatever. So I'm you know, I'm kinda concerned that they don't pay their detectives very well in Detroit if they can't afford to buy new cars. You know, because he's he had he the, the same, ca- same, same car. car from high school, apparently. Yeah. So it's a shame. It's a Nova, yeah. Which is the car that Ralph Nader hated, right? I don't know. Can't remember. I don't know that story. Okay. <laughs> there was a car that Ralph Nader hated, and that's the reason we have seatbelts now. This is <laughs> okay. I didn't know if it was the Nova. I, I don't just know. knew the Nova didn't sell very well in Mexico. Okay. Yes, that's right. That's it. <laughs> Um, it's because they had lots of Volkswagens there. True. So uh, I <laughs> think we're winding didn't. down here. Do you have any uh, any uh, other thoughts or observations or th- things you want to say about this movie? I, I just, I again, I just want to go back to it's like it's such a different time. We'll have to see if there's any more of these we can pull out of the air that you haven't seen before. Well, I mean, I've seen '80s movies. I just yeah. this one in particular just seems so. Innocent? Innocent, yeah. <laughs> the good guys it's are the like, good guys. It's like family ties or something like that. A very special <laughs> Beverly Hills cop. Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now they, they... I'm surprised they haven't made it into a television series. It seems like the it sort seems of like thing. It seems like something funny or die will or Maybe do. they'll do like a Riverdale oh. version of Beverly Hills well, cop. We'll check the internet afterwards <laughs> because I start, there was something about um, a TV series or, or mm-hmm. Beverly Hills 4 or something. I don't yeah. even know where we left off. There were sequels. Yeah. None of them were any good as far as I remember. Well, you know, the other thing, you know, before we 
leave this. I want to say like, so I grew up watching Beverly Hills 90210. Um, oh, it's totally the same thing as this. Well, yeah. except, well, but they present the Beverly Hills kids as the like tough urban, like we know what's going on kind of thing. And then Brenda and, and, uh, uh, Brandon, Brandon, uh, are, are presented as these like innocent Minnesota people that don't know what's up, you know, you know, so, they so it's kind of the, the other world. way around, yeah. like in, in Beverly Hills cop, the cops are well, all innocent. Minnesota and then, is not Detroit. So we'll say that too. That's true. It's pretty close though. They're pretty close together. <laughs> wow. There's all that great documentary footage at the beginning it of the really film was too, the credit awesome. sequence of Beverly Hills cop, uh, with all uh, the downtown like, Detroit and down. Town. Those beautiful old buildings. Yeah, you know, but they and, just took a second unit out and shot yeah. s- stuff off the street. It's well, really good footage. Well, and they footage. start off, you know, they set it up as being Detroit and they show an automotive factory, which at the time would have been, yeah. but that would be right at the beginning of when, you know, they they the companies stopped making cars yeah. and, and they started closing down all the plants, which only made the blight worse, you know. Yeah. So, um I think there was another movie that starts in a car factory in from the oh mr mom does as well does it yep now we tried to watch that about a year ago and it didn't play <laughs> it does, for me it at does all. not age very so well mr mom did not age well dated and sexist <laughs> and not funny in the right way and, yeah and I, it just didn't work um i love michael keaton so i really wanted it to be good but it wasn't what it i remembered was a, it to a be. woman working oh my god Another another movie from a different time. And, and the humor of the incompetent <laughs> man who can't do anything, yes. to, who can't do a load of laundry and all that kind of stuff. So that one's a fish out of water one. There's another one. They're all fish. Mm-hmm. They are all fish out of water yeah. movies. Go look again okay, at your 80s. I will look. Go look at your 80s. True Beverly Hills? <laughs> yes. Yes. Name a, name a movie. It's a fish out of water story. It's a story. fish out of water story. Okay. I mean, they would literally sit there and, and go, it's a fireman and he's in a submarine. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that backdraft? No. <laughs> Probably. Um, I think we're at our time here. Yes. It's it's been fun going back down memory lane to uh, this sort of a movie and not necessarily like a Vim Vendors film. Yeah. So I'll try and throw. Although in. we are going to do Vim Vendors at some point, right? Yes, because we need to do Paris, Texas. I haven't seen Paris, Texas. Have you seen Wings of Desire? No. Have you seen The American Friend? That's the one I'm not sure if I've seen or not. Dennis Hopper? Uh, I still think Paris, Texas is the one, right? Back me up on this. We'll do Paris, Texas sometime. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in about two weeks. Yes, with some... In exactly two weeks, shall I say that? Some movie that I will pick. Yes. So you cannot get a jump ahead and watch it before we do because we don't know what it is. She doesn't know what it is. We haven't even talked about it. Every time I promise it, my brother sends me an email and it's like, don't do Pride and Prejudice. So we'll see. Oh, I was going to remind you we were going to do Pride and Prejudice. Your brother's going to get mad. I know. Okay. Um, Thanks for listening. All right. Find us on your favorite podcast apps and subscribe. Write us an email at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. Tell your friends. Write us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Um, help other people find us and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.